0: Hi, I'm Stacy. I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head to my website StaceySummerow.com for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. Come on Spring. Come on, you can do it. I know you can. Come, please come. I'm wearing my daisy earrings to just do my part to bring spring in whatever way I can. I hope you are doing well. I've been celebrating my baby's birthdays this month, so honestly, it doesn't really feel like Lent because there's so much cake. Um, but they have discovered that they are really good at unwrapping presents now. They are they've got it down. So every time they see a package coming their way, they're just like, "All right, Set it down in front of me. I got this. I know how to do this. So before we get to our episode, I would want to let you know that the SALT mission program serving the aged lovingly today is happening this summer. And if you're a single young woman ages 18 through 40, I'm asking you to consider joining. Or if you know any let them know. It's hosted by the Carmelite Sisters for the Aged and Infirm, our sponsored today, and our missionaries spend a week working alongside the sisters, giving their time to the elderly. As you may know, I'm the coordinator of SALT, and I have seen so many lives changed and hearts moved, and I want every available young woman to experience that joy that comes from building relationships with the incredible residents that we serve. So at the end of today's episode, also, I wanted to remind you, I'm singing a little reflection. I just throw it in there for free. And this one is for Lent. So you're going to want to listen to that at the end. Let's get to our episode. If you struggle with pornography, body image anxiety, or judging yourself and somehow just thinking that you're bad and feeling anxious about it all the time, this episode really is for you. My guest today, Steve Pokorny, is the author of Redeemed Vision, Setting the Blind Free from Pornified Culture. And I so admire Steve because he just goes to those places that hurt in our hearts. And in order to discern properly, we really have to heal those places. So Steve just breaks through all the noise with beautiful clarity. We talk about a scientific method that really works for retraining your brain to see yourself the way that God sees you. And you're also going to hear how nudity in sacred art and breastfeeding in public can actually help redeem our culture. So let's get to it. Steve, I'm so glad you're here with me on Calling Caffeinated. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Stacy. It's an honor to be with you.
0: What calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what did those calls look and feel like?
1: It's a, such a great question. Um, calling could be such an interesting thing. I, I like to come mm-hmm. from the Latin, obviously, "vocare" to call, right? And, and what have what those calls been in my life? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, first and foremost is that I, I'm a son. Um, and I think it took me a long, life, long time in my life to actually get that message, to know that the, the father's really saying that to me. Um, first and foremost, I, I took a deep... Um, a deep time in my life, um, trying to start in the very beginning, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, um, cause I like to, mm-hmm. like to help people. And then I got to, uh, 11th grade and I took SATs and discovered I had to become an actor cause I got, um, <laughs> you know, do you know, Stacey, at, 400, at, the, at that point in time this is the nineties, you get 400 points just for writing your name. Well, I got 450 oh. more points and that kind of discounts me <laughs> from that point, um, So um, I'm just a really bad... And and you're talking to a guy who has now two master's degrees. Yes, I am master of the universe. But um, if if I can get through and do a master's degree on that SAT, anybody can do anything. So I did get into Syracuse University. I did a semester of acting. Um, and I was growing in my Catholic faith at that point, and I was also being challenged. So from that, um, God actually was knocking on my heart. Uh, knocking on my heart. This is my freshman year of college. Um, go check out seminary, and um, uh, this is Syracuse, Syracuse, New, New York, where that call is coming in. I went back to Cleveland for a come and come and see weekend. Um, I. I felt impelled to go check it out. I wrote the essay, got in. Um, and throughout that first three years, I never really asked the question. I never asked the question, God, do you want me to be a priest? Mm. Instead I was saying, God, I'm going to be a priest. Those are two very radical different mindsets. And so God was, um, you know, LOL, ROL on the floor laughing. (laughs) (laughs) RFL, all those computer geeks out there. Um, I mean, emojis hadn't been invented yet, so I don't know what would be there, but you probably have the one with a smiley face and tears coming down his, his face there. Um, <laughs> Old school. So, um, <laughs> and this is the goodness of our God that he, he works with us. He's patient, um, but sometimes he's got to smack us upside the head. So, um, uh, the summer after I graduated from undergrad seminar, I'd gone to three years, um, I was struggling, and I went to, uh, on a tech retreat, uh, Teens Encounter Christ are kind of popular, and it's not just for teens. And um, there, um, just it, it was really intimate, it was really good, and I met a girl on that retreat, and we had matching license plates, and um, we just had a uh, good sense of humor. So obviously, clearly, you know, there's some interest here. That's clearly it, right?
0: Um, well, you must be called to marry her. There, license plates. I must be called to marriage. But
1: in fact, though, I had gone and continued to discern, continued to ask the question that summer. And I was, I knew I needed to go back for one full year, one more full year. So one year major seminary to ask the question. So during that entire, uh, entire year, I really tried to get into integration. I like to use the acronym C-ASAP. You'll, you'll notice, Stacey, in our conversation, I like using a lot of acronyms. So they mm. just help the memorization techniques. So CSAP, see me So in discernment, right, what I've, what I've discovered is it's, it's five areas that really we need to put our focus on. First is community, asking the question. You know, we don't discern in, in a bubble, right? We discern, unless you're in mm-hmm. Steubenville, apparently. Um, the bubble, I'm saying that <laughs> lovingly.
0: <laughs> a good bubble.
1: A good bubble. I went to Steubenville and we can talk about that. So um, in here, right, just um, in community, right? How can I enter in? How can I be a gift to others? How can I do in that, right? A, academic. What are we studying, right? The word of God clearly should be something we study, but all the different areas. How are we, How are we, uh, you know, learning to form our mind? Here? And it, it, the, old la- the old phrase goes, right, if you want to be a leader, you need to be a reader. And all mm. of us in, right, whatever pockets of life, we are, um, we're called to be leaders, right? Whether it's, whether it's just in our own home, if you're a mom and you have kids, right, you're called to lead them, right? Yes. So we need to be reading good things and forming here. Um, S is, um, actually, yeah, no, I got that acronym right. Um, S is spiritual. So this is, this is obviously our prayer life, all the, the sacraments, focusing all those things where God is calling us here um, in our life to grow in relationship with him. Um, a Apostolic. So, what is an, a way of serving, right? How can I go out and serve? What are my gifts and talents and charisms that God has given to me that I can enter in and serve others? Because it's in giving that we're, we receive, but we also find genuine joy and fulfillment. Um, and then P is physical, okay, and this is an aspect that was, you know, I had not really been an athlete, hadn't really worked out in my life. I started actually doing that, not not crazy, but um, learning how to eat well, learning how to get my rest, take care of my body, because we're body, soul, composite. And so in that whole process, I was, um, I, I really got myself to the best degree I could, integrated um, in that, but still something wasn't setting right. Now, during this entire time, go back to that that girl I I had uh, kind of um, an infatuation with, and I also would write her letters that I did not give any of them to her until Mm -hmm. I finally made the decision that, um, you know, I believe God is calling me to jump, to move out of seminary. And, um, I gave, uh, I then would give her all the letters at once. I mean, can you write <gasps> the amount of, Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. She goes through the letters, she reads through them. And then I find out she has no interest whatsoever. Okay. Uh-huh. So yeah. you talk about unrequited love. I know that intimately and the pain was deep and I yeah. had left, I had left seminar. And I'm like, now What? Like, mm. Oh my gosh. And what it was, was here, this is a, a call to widen my heart, to have my heart mm. widened. And, and then it would be down the line, down the years, I eventually would meet my wife and we would meet under the context of, um, of becoming friends. And I think this is a really important aspect that in the world in which we live, in like many cases are, we're not being taught how to grow in friendship, but merely to eroticize feelings. Mm. And when the, those those feelings can only last for a certain amount of time, until they've got to either die or they have to grow into something much more. Mm-hmm. And we're none of us are being taught this. So we had a we had a beautiful opportunity to do that. Um, and then uh, eventually we would end up married. About I don't know. Uh, Twelve months or thirteen months after we began dating, um, so it was good.
0: Wow, that's great! And you also have a call to fatherhood as well, right? You have two two daughters, I, three daughters. I have
1: two daughters. I have two daughters on Earth, one in heaven. We had a, a wow. miscarriage uh, a few years ago, um, and and I like to say her name is Joy because um, she. I um, clearly knew we needed an intercessor, and we needed more joy in our life. So mm-hmm. yes, right now our daughters are uh, on Earth are six and eight. And, um, they are, uh, keeping me on my toes and my wife. Does.
0: Yes. That's what kids do. They keep you in shape <laughs> running after them. They do. They yeah. do.
1: And yep. if I can add one, one more piece, you, you talk about calling like, that's all. That calling in marriage obviously is for me to make that complete gift of myself to my wife. Mm-hmm. And I think it's especially in our early part of our marriage, we struggled mightily because you had two very selfish human beings because we'd been single for a long while mm-hmm. trying to, we need to break through that. And it's been, it's been good. Even some counseling. I do recommend counseling to every married couple. Um, mm-hmm. Even if you're not having major problems, because it helps to, to fine tune us and then bringing me into this gift of fatherhood, of really pouring myself out, which mm-hmm. un- has unveiled even more the meaning of my masculinity.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I, I totally resonate with you in, in terms of struggling. I think, you know, when you become a priest or a nun, you have seven years. Isn't it something like seven years for formation? When you get nine, married... Seven,
1: nine sometimes, and Jesuits yeah. are sometimes like 15 or
0: 16. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's incredible the amount of formation you have for that vocation, but for marriage, you kind of, you know, you may have a good, good priest for pre-cana. You may have a really great experience on a weekend retreat, but you do not get seven years to prepare. And I I think that's one of those things that um, we need to examine as a society is like, how well are we really preparing for marriage? And part of the reason I started this podcast was because I really want to encourage all young people to give their lives to God first so that they belong to God first, instead of thinking I got to find the perfect person who's going to fulfill me. Which I think most of us wouldn't think that we operate that way. But I know when I was single, and I know so many other single young people who just need to relax. Like relax, give your life to God, and kind of like you said with with the girl you were in love with, you just you kind of eroticize these these uh, these friendships mm-hmm. or these feelings. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. learning to distinguish between. What is friendship and how am I called to develop that? And then, you know, who, who am I called to actually marry is super important. And I, I love in your story also how you took the time. You really said to God, okay, I'm feeling doubts, but I'm going to go back for another year.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I like to say God's timing is flawless. Okay, yes. There are no mistakes with God. Um, we may feel that way because like, God, I, I should have had her, right? She should have been yeah. mine or, yeah. or for when he should have been mine or like I was in this vocation and then, you know, or I was discerning in a convent or discerning a seminary and it just didn't work out. And now I'm kind of on my own. Have I been mm-hmm. abandoned? No, mm-hmm. you haven't, right? Right now, God is writing a masterpiece, a masterpiece mm-hmm. story that is yours and it's to reveal his glory. And the question is, will we trust him? Will we open our hearts to him and allow him to do the work he wants in us? And I love what you just said, Stacy, about like that relationship with God must come first because I mm-hmm. see so many times with, I, I speak to a lot of groups, I speak to to, to youth and young adults and adults and we try to find our our, our the notion our world, as I said, right uh, earlier, if these emotions, if these relationships are not eroticized, then we have nothing. If it's not romanticized and all heavy on the emotions. And, and when, when that, that dies, it doesn't work out to the way we wanted, then we think like something's wrong with me. And especially mm-hmm. if you, if we fail to live out our bodies and sexuality as gift, there's guilt, there's shame, there's that hurt, that pain that's there. And instead we need to first and foremost, to, to bring it back, put the put the um, you know uh, horse before the cart, in realizing that you know who am I? What is my identity before God? Mm-hmm. I have first and foremost been created as a, as a man, as a woman, as a beloved son or daughter of God, called in that relationship, and learning how to hear the word of the Father. And it's in our in our our own families where we're supposed to get this we're supposed to get this message we're supposed to get to get our our formation for marriage and family life Mm -hmm. but you look around the world you look at the brokenness of marriage and family and it's no surprise why we're in the state we are
0: yeah that's a great lead into my next question which you go into very in depth in your book redeemed vision um, which is an amazing book and everyone should read it i don't care if you have a pornography compulsion, if you've ever looked at pornography or not, it's just, it's so good because it really goes into our dignity and our worth as human beings. And it con- you come at it from your particular angle of of pornography and what it's doing to our culture, but I can't tell you Steve how deeply that book resonated with me because I struggled with self-image issues for years. I had so much anxiety about how I looked. I was in New York City, you know, I was in the the secular acting world, which is, you know, it's so competitive and it's so much based around how you look. You know, you are you, you are a product. People used to say to me, "Know your product." Like, know yourself, essentially. And so, know what type you are, how you can put yourself into a box, how you can market and package yourself. And what you do when you do that is you kind of reduce yourself, as you say in your book, to parts instead of looking at the whole person. And so, I know that struggle very, very well. And I found a lot of things just hit me in the heart when I read Redeemed Vision. But One thing that you talked about at the very beginning of the book, I've never encountered anything that's really made me physically ill when I read it before, um, but this did in the best way possible, and it was the analogy of the septic tank in our culture, or our our culture as a septic tank. Can you kind of unpack that for me?
1: Sure, and I'm, I'm humbled by your words and, and, and how this puts here. So if anybody's drinking coffee right now, take your last sip so you <laughs> don't throw up. Um, so um, I want you to imagine one day you're walking down the street and um, it's really hot. I'm here in Texas, so um, it's not mm-hmm. hard. Usually all the weather has been wonky, um, but usually it's pretty hot here. And um, we're so thirsty and we would do anything to quench our thirst. There's not a Starbucks around, but we look across and we see over um, a neighbor's yard, there is this big vat of liquid, um, this big vat of liquid. And without even thinking about it, we hop that fence, we dive in that and we start guzzling and um, we start drinking it and we start feeling, we're feeling, feeling great, right? We think we're feeling great. We do a couple backstrokes and then we start smelling and it smells a little funky and you notice a little floaty things on top. And then you Pull yourself out of that vat, and you notice there's a little sign that's got like goo that's been encrusted, and you pull off that goo and you look on it and it says septic tank. Okay. Ugh. Now, yeah. for our listeners, in case you're not aware, septic tanks where the poo goes. Okay. If you were to <laughs> drink, if you were to drink from that, Stacy, what would happen?
0: Um, I would, oh my gosh, I'd throw up. I mean, it's probably yeah. poisonous, right? I feel like mm-hmm. I should oh, yeah. it's, it's actually poisonous.
1: Yep. It is, Yep, it is poisonous. And in fact, if we keep drinking from it, we're going to die here. And so, what I I use this, I I apologize to our listeners. You can start sipping again. This is an analogy for the world in which we live, okay? We are living, we're swimming, we're soaking in a septic tank. And the problem is, most of us are blind. We don't see it for the septic tank that it is. We know something's wrong here. Why? Because we see people throwing up all around us in various ways, emotionally physically, um, relationally. Um, and we've been told though, by many, many sources, this is normal. We've normalized Mm. this. And I'm here to say, and boldly proclaim with the voice of the church and the voice of Jesus Christ, that this is not the way it was meant to be. They were Mm. called to something greater and that God has come not to Keep, us, keep our heads in that up tank, but to pulse out of this, to bring us to fresh water, fresh water that can actually satisfy the deepest desires of our heart. And in order to do that, though, we've got to get real. We've got to start to start ask questions. What do I actually desire? What am I actually looking for? And this taps into our conversation and your whole mission, you know, asking those big questions, because I think a lot of us We're afraid to ask those questions because if I do, you know, I might take a look at the way in which I've been living my life and and realize I got to make some changes. And Mm -hmm. change is hard sometimes.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And in the book of Exodus, I've been reading it and God calls the Israelites over and over a stiff necked people. And at first I was like, what, did they not have good pillows and mattresses? You know, they got a crick in the neck all the time. Not a
1: good chiropractor. (laughs) <laughs>
0: good, right. But, you know, of course, what he's talking about is they cannot turn their faces to him. They Their necks are yeah. stiff and they stiff from habit. So, yeah, we do have to wake up. We do have to really recognize this. And, you know, until I read the book, I, when you first reached out to me, I was like, I'm not sure exactly how pornography relates to discernment. And then I read your book and I was like, this is a conversation we really need to have because we really... Can't discern well unless we are able to kind of step outside of our culture. Which I don't know about you. I feel like our culture is getting more and more hostile to Christianity, Catholicism, and to people who really boldly live their faith. You know, we're becoming more, while well, I say less and less pro-life. Our laws are. I live in New York where they recently passed the mm. the abortion law, which goes up to um, up to forty weeks. And oh my gosh, it. Phew, I can't tell you how sad and angry and, and just devastated you know, that makes me, but in other aspects too, you know we're losing the, the dignity of life and we don't recognize we're in the septic tank. So we need to figure out how to kind of step outside and have that bigger vision and ask those bigger questions so that we can discern well and choose well. So for you, you mentioned that you were in the seminary for quite a while, and you also are very vulnerable in the book about how your pornography compulsion started, how it really enslaved you for so many years, and how did that play into your discernment as you were sort of struggling in the subject tank?
1: Such an interesting question. And I've gone back, you know, we, we sometimes when we, we go through events and, and experiences in life, we might start to question, you know, oh, what if I would have done this? It's like the choose your own adventure kind of thing, those old yes, books. Yes, I love like,
0: those. You know, yes. Those are great.
1: They're fantastic. But when you're trying to live that, especially in your mind and uh, from I've uh, growing up, Throughout my life, I had a lot of uh, friends who are girls, uh, and now I live with three three fantastic females. Um, <laughs> there's that mind that doesn't slow down, doesn't shut off here, and, and kind of questioning: did I make the right decision? Going back and forth, mm-hmm. um, and, and and I think I got and maybe there's a part of me got trapped in that later on after I left seminary, because in uh, just to be frank, right, um, the 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 formation on human sexuality on developing, and remember, sexuality when we use that is a notion of um, who am I as a male or a female, okay, mm-hmm. that we, for, before we do sex, or if we ever were to quote-unquote do sex, we are sex, we're male or female, mm-hmm. and a lot of that formation, frankly, was lacking. Um, they mm-hmm. try to do it, you know, in a, a roundabout way, but there was never really an explicit, we need to get into this, what are the struggles of the heart, the struggles about lust, let's go deep into this, and every, and so I'm three years into, for three years I was in minor seminary. Um, there was a guy named Joe, um, good guy, very, very earthy. He created, or um, earthy, very down to earth, I want to say, um, mm-hmm. created a, a, a board said, and said, for Lent, let's all give up, being frank, let's all give up pornography and masturbation for Lent. And every time you do, you put a, for every day, you put a gold star on this, okay? And I don't think anybody got through the entire thing without it, okay? And, and like, wow. and I, I was not I was not honest in myself. I was not honest in my discernment. I think I probably lied because I was so ashamed and guilt. So this was, and, and again, why why was this a problem? Because I had been formed years before that there's only one way really to view to women. I had been trained in this stuff from the time I was in seventh grade before the internet hit. And then the internet hits and... Goodnight, Miss. Um, that because the, the multitude of images that go in there stirring up all those chemicals in the brain, and if you connect this with masturbation, the most powerfully focused event the brain can experience, um, which is you know climax here, then um, this burns into our brain, and then we associate those images with pleasure. And when we get into situations that are stressful or lonely or bored or angry, um, those uncomfortable emotions, if that's been the way in which we cope and deal with things, then we're going to go right back into that form of the septic tank. Mm-hmm. And so, again, seminary is a, um, is a crucible. Okay, It really is. It's a formation place. Um, it is a place, though, where anywhere there is holiness, the devil will work overtime. They say in mm. Rome, there's over 200,000 Satanists. Okay, that should not shock wow. us because how many masses go up at 7 a.m. in Rome? Mm. If, if you see God the, God the Father looking at the world and he, all he sees is darkness and then these little rays of light coming from every altar, right? Mm. You have that going on there. And so in the seminary, these are to be the future priests. These are to be the ones who are to bring Jesus to others in a very specific sacramental way, right? A way we can't get anywhere else. We can't buy it at Walmart. And so from here, right? Um, I, there was not that, there was not this healthy formation here for, for human sexuality. And if we look, especially with the, 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 uh, the sex scandals that are going on at church right now, where we're finding a lot of our leaders they never receive this formation as well. And then instead of, instead of being real about those wounds, saying, I've got an issue here, and I need to get healing, and i got to seek out healing, some of them, it's not all of them, it's not a vast majority of them, okay. but it is some of them, and there's a, a good number of them, though, that give themselves over those devices, allow that, that to take a, role, a part of their mind, their heart, their vision. It's all darkened, and then their conscience, because they don't listen to it long enough, get silence. This is what St. Paul talks about in first Corinthians. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so for myself, right. I, I, I I go back and I do wonder that what if I was integrated with my sexuality there? Right. Um, what, Mm -hmm. what would have happened? What, what might, how might it have been different? Well, God always writes straight with crooked lines, right? So any, and and this is the word of hope to all of us out there. First off, if we've got wounds, if if we've got guilt and shame around us, get to confession Get healing here. And, and if there is, a, say, a compulsion to pornography, seek out means of healing. They can, they can get in touch with me at freedom coaching.net, or they, if there's something else that's going to work for them, go do that. But we got to get real here. Take the veneer off, take the masks off, and start appropriately sharing our story and knowing that I'm in need of healing here, but also having for that perspective that we have a relationship with a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who really can transform everything. Behold, I make everything new here. And this is what I would say here is, even though there were questions throughout my years like, what if? Well, I know for a fact that I'm called to be married married through and through. I would not trade my vocation for anything. And the mm-hmm. struggles, the aches, the pains, even the last six months before I met my wife, my, my wife, um, I was still struggling with things. I needed to go through uh, something called intensive trauma therapy, just writing and drawing to help heal things. My wife was dealing with a stalker, literally, court and all that jazz. Wow. Um, Oh and god. so she had her own baggage of healing that needed need to happen that could be a whole nother uh, <laughs> podcast um from here though um we would have killed each other in a metaphorical sense we wouldn't we were not ready so but again god's timing is flawless mm-hmm. and in that i have no regrets no regrets
0: yeah that's so great about god writes straight with crooked lines because mm-hmm. who of us has not sinned like we're all, we all have some kind of baggage. And, you know, we're, like you said, we're all swimming in this septic tank and it's going to get to us in some way. When you were talking about being bored or tired um, or angry and sort of using masturbation to self-soothe, it's very interesting. Um, my perspective, just from where I've been in my life, that was never, that was never a self-soothing mechanism for me. It was actually food because I mm. sort of made food into this morally right or wrong thing i was even talking to a girlfriend about this yesterday because she's really struggling with her relationship with food you know you say relationship like it's not really a relationship food is not a person but food becomes this thing that you you sort of set yourself up against it and you you try to uh, so many women i know struggle with this you try to eat less all the time and then you reward yourself with food so food becomes this thing that is kind of your idol and your god and your your mechanism of calming yourself emotionally it's crazy and it it all is part of that that septic tank because it it directly reflects on my own dignity and my own worth as a person so if i eat too much i'm less than i was mm-hmm. 10 minutes ago. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, not to go into a rabbit hole, but it just, it really, really, like I relate to that in, in a different way, but it's the same, it's the same thing. You wrote in your book, in the beginning when Adam saw Eve and vice versa, they did not see simply their parts. They had the divine vision, seeing the other in all their glory. The body revealed the soul. There was no fear that the other person was going to use them. They were truly naked without shame because they had perfect love for one another. How does pornography reduce a person to parts? And how do we restore that wholeness of vision? Big question for you.
1: Big question. Fantastic question. And this gets to the kind of the root of where we are in our culture. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, that beginning piece, Adam and Eve seeing each other as persons. I I like to say when Adam saw Eve, he didn't simply see her body parts. He saw the person. When Eve saw Adam, she didn't simply see his 401k plan. She saw the person. (sighs) Right? Right, and, right. And this vision here created that piece here. And we've been programmed then in our world, right? If you want to have fun at a party, Stacey, or anybody listening, in the first minute of your conversation, throw out the term naked. Just throw it out there, right? It's like red <laughs> meat. Um, we're like, what? Right? and it's, and it's, and when we hear naked, <laughs> right? Yes. We're talking about nakedness, right? Um, yes, let's
0: go there. <laughs> we're going
1: to, oh, we're going there. Right. Because, um, in our, <laughs> we're, we're going to get naked without shame because in, in, in the world today, we hear something like red light district, or we hear something that this is something dirty and bad, but from the beginning, it was not. So it was a revelation of the mystery mm. of the person. And this is not to say that we're going to walk around naked all the time. No. But we are saying when they lost, when Abney lost that, that ability to see, it was an utter tragedy because it was a covering up of themselves. It was a, a hiding of their heart from God, hiding from the world. Um, and many of us live this way. And like, just one example would be like, with some moms, right? They're, they're around talking to their, uh, their, or they're, they're making comments in the kitchen like, oh, nobody wants to see that on me. Or like, mm. she shouldn't be wearing that. And mm-hmm. this, it sets a, a message in, in a, a young girl's mind. And again, I have two daughters and my wife and I work, ha- we've had this conversation. My wife was the uh, final editor on this book. So uh, having really a, a feminine, um, feminine eye on this has really helped to sharpen this vision mm-hmm. in here. And And when a woman takes that kind of perspective or makes those kind of comments, she first and foremost is talking negatively down about her own body. She's mm-hmm. also then projecting this onto other people that if I'm not good, then they're not good either. And this is a language of what we call a master of suspicion that no way, no how are we really good. There's always something negative. We've got to draw something negative. And if anybody has any friends who just off the cuff, they make those negative little comments. It just kills joy mm-hmm. and we're made to live in gratitude, to be grateful for our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way back from this is first and foremost, can we see ourselves as good, right? Mm-hmm. When we stand in front of the, near, the mirror, maybe when we get out of the shower, right? Nobody else is around us. Can we see ourselves as good? Not mm-hmm. through the lens of lust, but through the lens of love, right? Mm-hmm. And so then regardless of whatever I'm wearing, I can live from that place, that place of dignity and worth. And then regardless of what somebody else is wearing, like let's, let's say there is somebody who is trying to wear something to evoke lust. Okay. For whatever, for whatever reason, maybe they don't know their own dignity. Maybe they really are trying to do that. They just have no clue. Our first reaction should not be, how dare they? Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And we see this in a lot of I hate to say it, quote unquote, conservative Catholic circles, mm. these judging things. I, I hear the stories all the time of, you know, various Facebook groups that my wife uh, just listens in on. And, and it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. Instead yeah. of our, mm-hmm. our right? And, 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 and if we take that perspective, before we go to the other, other vision here, if we take that perspective, then it becomes this whole notion, boys will be boys, guys can't help it, they have to lust, mm. that's just the way they're made. The lie is here that men are made visual. No, women are made visual also. Just the fact that women have 40% more in their corpus callosum, the corpus callosum connects the left and right hemispheres, connects the rational and the emotional brains. We mm. have two brains in a certain sense in one. It connects them. And women are much better in bringing all the pieces together. So yes, can women see a quote-unquote beautiful man, man? Yes, guys, we are beautiful in our masculine way. Um, oh, yeah.
0: Can they see this? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Especially. We can use the word beautiful for men. It's okay. I call my husband beautiful. And <laughs> he he get he's secure. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Excellent. And um especially a man in uniform. Most women go gaga over that, right? <laughs> that was my dad. Man.
0: Oh yeah. It's the that masculine you know. strength, absolutely.
1: Yep. Yep. So if we if we play this game, which we've been playing for seemingly ever, and a lot of Christians, a lot of Catholics have fallen into this that it's her fault, then what we have, the only solution we have for this whole psychosis is cover the body. Which go down the line here, the answer then is Islam. Because what do Islam what's happened is in Islam, cover the body, that's the answer. And it's not in the view especially from the Islamic Philosophy, and it's really is a philosophy. It's not truly a theology. It's a philosophy. It's a way of life, a way of seeing life. Woman was a mistake. Woman is less Mm. than man. That's her inherentness. And she is a temptress. And so Mm. cover her body as much as possible. Like I'm here in San Antonio. I see more and more Muslims are present. And women literally, it's uh, 95 degrees, wearing from head to toe with even their eyes only covered, uh, uncovered. So, um, and, and what's, the, what's the real problem there? The problem is not the woman. The problem is not the way she's dressed. The problem is how men's hearts and how we are seeing this. And some women, inevitably, they promote this kind of, of culture by the same way they see their own bodies and the mm-hmm. way they project this onto other women they see. Because a lot of women, from what I hear, um, it's, they don't dress Simply for men, it's usually for themselves and to out impress other women. Instead oh, of,
0: absolutely. I'm going to
1: dress. Yep, mm-hmm. I'm going to dress well for who I am. And if you don't like it, well, talk to nudies. And it's mm-hmm. be- and it's because there's a lack of strength and lack of of confidence in the love that the father has for them. Mm-hmm. So, let's go back to a you know a mini solution here, right? Because there's so much to unpack here. This is why I wrote the book here mm-hmm. on a rubber- redeemed mm-hmm. vision setting the blind free from the pornified culture. Um, in here, right, we've got to first see our own dignity. This is why even seeing, accepting our own naked humanity, our own naked flesh, not as something lustful, not as something bad, not as something dirty, but as good and created in the image of God, especially as we start getting older, right? I have a torn meniscus now, and I'm like, I'm not even 40. I'm like, what is up with that? Um, <laughs> oh, no. Right? <laughs> We're working on that, but, but like in our, in our bodies, right? Seeing that is good. And then Mm -hmm. living from that perspective and saying today, let's start today. I'm going to start to, to work on how seeing every person as creating the image of God. And if there's this, either a pull to lust or a pull to judgment, Mm -hmm. I'm going to call myself on it. I'm going to say, no, God, would you infuse me with the grace? Would you help me to see this person and love them? And a a man or a woman who has this vision, but especially a man, seeing a woman, no matter how she's dressed, as a person can lead to a transformation of her life. And I've seen it happen in myself and so many others.
0: Hi there. I hope you are enjoying the episode so far. I wanted to interrupt you for just a minute to remind you that women ages 18 through 40 are invited to the SALT mission program, serving for a week alongside the Carmelite sisters for the aged and infirm. Salt missionaries are truly the salt of the earth. We design fun activities like giving manicures or having a happy hour that are so meaningful for those whom our society so often forgets. Our missionaries also report that one of their favorite parts is just spending time one-on-one with the residents and hearing their incredible stories. It's really another way to live out our pro-life beliefs by serving with salt. My life has been changed and every one of our missionaries' lives have been changed. If cost is an issue, you're gonna be happy to know that salt is totally free of charge. That's right, zero dollars. You just have to pay your travel and the sisters take care of the rest. I've invested so many hours of my life and my passion into this program and I believe in its ability 100% to help you hear God's voice in your life and to grow in every relationship check out www.carmelitesisters.com/salt-program. Also, I just want to remind you that I am available to book as a speaker for your parish or your event. I love podcasting so much, but my background is in live theater, so I also absolutely love the live experience of interacting with you in person. I've been so blessed to speak at the National Catholic Youth Conference twice, as well as dioceses and parishes around the country. So if you're a regular listener, you know how surrendering my life to God and inviting him into every has changed my life and how passionately I believe that discernment is for everyone, not just young people discerning religious life, because we're all faced with decisions constantly. God is speaking to you, He wants you to know it, and I want to help you hear and understand how to hear if you aren't fortunate enough to receive like visions or like a burning bush or anything like that. So, God has used my crazy journey of being on the Broadway national tours, to discerning religious life on a reality TV show, to being a wife and a mother and a speaker, and I would love to share my journey with you. I do understand that there are times where your group or your parish just simply can't afford what it takes to bring a professional speaker in person. So I get that. And I do have Skype packages available where I give a talk and I do live Q and A's over Skype. And those are very reasonable and affordable. So please reach out to me through my website, stacysummero.com and we will chat. Now back to my conversation with Steve. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So good. All of that. And one of the ways that you recommend uh well you kind of alluded to it there about retraining your brain about asking god for his help to see in a new way i'm totally on board with that if you have never heard or have you ever heard of the book um My Stroke of Insight?
1: My Stroke of, no, I haven't,
0: please. Okay, that was a great, great book for me at the time when I was going through my self-image anxiety and um, I read it because a friend gave it to me and it's about a neuroscientist who went through a stroke and so she lost the whole left side of her brain. She was only left with the right side of her brain which is the artistic, the appreciative side and she lost all of those connections, all those neural pathways that she had strengthened You know, when when your brain runs in circuits and you get on the, the train of thought and every time you get on that train, it strengthens the circuit, right? So she yeah. lost yeah. all of those negative, all that negative self-talk, all of those, like you said, those those comments like, oh, well, I really shouldn't wear that. I, I don't look good in that. She doesn't look good in that. All of that. What, and that related, I think in, in the author's case, Jill Bolt Taylor or Bolty Taylor might be how you pronounce it. In her case, I think it was a lot of negative self-talk, not so much about her body, but about her usefulness or her her competency as a um, as a professional. And so she lost all of that, and she was only left with this kind of the right side of her brain, the artistic right side. And she had such a, an appreciation of life that she had never had before. She was able to live kind of, you know, in a very childlike way. And when she rebuilt the left side of her brain to be able to speak and talk and learn the alphabet again and all of those little you know, math and, and numbers, she just didn't rebuild those, those destructive pathways. And. Awesome hmm And so for me reading this book, it was a huge, huge inspiration to know that I could train my brain. I could, tra- I could really change the way that I think, the way that I see myself and other people. And so for me, when I would experience that negative train of thought, you know, maybe I had an audition and it didn't go well and I left and I could just feel that train roaring at me saying like, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. I would literally or metaphorically or sometimes both throw my hands up in the air. If I was by myself, I would literally do it. And I would say, God, please take these thoughts away from me. I cannot, I can't save myself. I am so ingrained in this, in this habit and in this kind of the septic tank of seeing myself as bad. And I need you to please help me and please step in and be my savior. And he did every single time he would take away those thoughts. And you know, that did do two amazing things for me. The first one is that it strengthened my relationship with him. It helped me to understand that he wants to be a part of my life. And in those moments when I really need him, he will help me. And number two, it really did help retrain my brain. So it took several months for me, but it, it really helped break down those those negative circuits of thought and build up the the more positive ones. And and I have maintained that to this day. You know, there's, there's times when I get into negative ways of thinking. And if I just surrender it to God and say, please step in and be my savior, I am out of out of control here you know i can't save myself and and he wants to save us so you know that that really hit me in the heart um what do you yeah you kind of touch on that in your well you go into it in your book about how Mm -hmm. you can retrain your brain to see other people and one of the surprising ways besides retraining those neural pathways is also sacred art so i'd love to hear you talk about sacred art as -hmm. part of this retraining your brain
1: beautiful beautiful Mm -hmm. so um, let's start with a story and, and I love what you just shared and, and I, all the, all this stuff on, on neuroscience, I, I talk a great deal about that, especially in mm-hmm. chapter three, but it's weaved throughout the book, um, is, is those, those neural pathways and, and the things that the old notion goes, the things we focus on we give life to the things we don't, they die. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it begs the question, what are we looking at and how are we looking at? What are we focusing on? So, uh, I just want to bring a story up. A story I talk about in my book, um, is a young boy was at a park. And he, um, he came across a gentleman's club ad, a quote unquote gentleman's club ad. I wouldn't call it a gentleman's club ad. That's what I called it. And mm-hmm. had two naked women on, two naked women on it. And, um, he leaves it there. He goes to his older sister and says, I found a yucky picture. The, uh, sister says, go to your older brother, tell him. And he does. And the older brother says, show it to me. So he does. Um, and the older brother takes it, immediately rips it up and throws it away. Mm -hmm. And um, for, for much of our audience who have ever struggled with pornography, this is unbelievably weird. Okay. Because um, the, the thing that way, which most of us, especially myself and other, other guys, um, and now some women, right. They say that, uh, one third to one half of viewers of visually stimulating pornography are women. Wow, um, that's an
0: insanely high number. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just can't, I, it's hard for me to believe that, but I do, I believe you that I just didn't realize it was such a problem for women.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I work, I work with men and women. And again, it's of those of visual, it's not all, it's not one third or one half of, of, of women, but visually of women in of those individually stimulating pornography that's it is a high Mm -hmm. it's a very high number and especially if we're you're being taught that you know your dignity your worth is to be like a broken man well if a man's into pornography well then i guess i better be too Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so um there's a lot of heartbreak and things there and that's one of the things that we work through in uh in 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 freedom coaching um Mm -hmm. so so here right this uh, this for for those you know why this short story is so shocking because most of us who would would have found that image we would have folded up put away brought it home And it's like buried treasure. Oh, my gosh, I just won the lottery. And why is that? Because we've been trained, again, to believe that there's only one way to view the body. There's only one way to view nakedness and attraction and sex. And it's through the lens of lust. And if you remember, though, the old Sesame Street song, you know, which of these doesn't belong, which of these doesn't go together. Remember? Yeah. uh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I I think I just totally butchered the the theme. I need to go memorize it. um, It's
0: okay. I um, don't really remember it. You're safe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So in this, right, you have, you know, we we put all five of those together, you know, the body, nakedness, um, attraction, um, sex, and lust. The problem isn't the first four. The problem is lust. But Mm -hmm. we think... We've we've grouped them in there, and so it's about, the answer is not about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's about Mm -hmm. learning how to see the body. And this brings us into what you, uh, what what we'll articulate is especially sacred art, and is where the body, because we look in in sacred art, um, and even in some um, old, uh, you know, some of the old masters, even "quote unquote" secular pieces of art. But we're talking the old masters. I'm like Ma- Michelangelo, Donatello, right? Um, Raphael, all the mm-hmm. teenage mutant turtles. Um, all <laughs> of these things here, <laughs> right? Um, yep. All of these, all of these things here, right? They're trying to capture the glory of God revealed in the human body. And if anyone is any kind of artist, they know they need to make the human body the subject here, and it is often the naked human body that is there as the subject of a work of art. And in no way, if they are a true artist, a true artist knows they are trying to evoke the genuine principles of beauty, and beauty from the hallmarks of Thomas Aquinas, of radiance, of, of balance, and of wholeness red, white, and blue. That's a way to remember that. Of mm. um, radiance, radiance must, ra- there you go. I got that from a client, so I'm always learning new things. Nice. Um, I'm going to steal that. Uh-huh. Please steal it. So, yes. so <laughs> here, anything that is beautiful is going to emanate from God. And if God is the bridegroom, he has, and we're, and we are the bride here. There's a marriage there. He wants, it's stamped right in our, our male and female bodies, in mm. our naked flesh. But so, so here appropriately learning how to see appropriately and sacred art is an appropriate place to do this. So if you're a parent out there, a mom or dad, you know, you're concerned because the the, the the issue in the day and age, sad to, sad to say this, it's not if our kids are going to expose to porn, it's just the mm-hmm. world we live in and I, hate it. with every fiber of my being talk being nauseous. I hate the fact that my little children's innocence is going, that, that's, that look of sadness is going to come over them one day. And mm-hmm. then there's going to be, and, but, but there's preventative measures that we can do. So when the counterfeit is presented, like that nine-year-old boy I shared with, um, we're able to reject that counterfeit wholesale. And that's by training them in the principles of beauty, training them in the principles of art, of teaching them how to see the body and especially see their own body as good. And so when we're, for instance, narrowing our gaze on sacred art, there are images of Mary breastfeeding openly Jesus. In the world we live in, breasts are viewed through an eroticized lens, right? I don't know, um, Stacey, uh, if you saw this in my book, um, a woman, uh, this is, Several years ago, went into Victoria's Secret, uh, baby got fussy, Yeah, began to breastfeed, right? And uh, one of the workers said, you can't do that here, you have to leave. So she came back the next day with 30 of her <laughs> breastfeeding friends and they did a latch-in. Okay? Wow, latching. I love it. Uh-huh. And she got a call later that week from the CEO of Victoria's Secret saying, that worker was out of line, you can come and breastfeed in our stores anytime you want, mm-hmm. right? So. Yep. So here just taking, and again, we have to be very, this is a very delicate conversation, right? Because a woman is way more than the sum of her parts. She mm-hmm. is holistic, but obviously one of, the, one of the things that makes a woman a woman is having breasts. And, and here, right, yes, a woman's breasts are beautiful, but they are also functional. And most of us have never been taught this why, comes back to the breakdown of marriage and family. How many of us have a sad reality our, maybe our moms never breastfed. Maybe we're never around this whole situation. Maybe mm-hmm. when there was never healthy, holistic, real conversations about human sexuality growing up, and especially we were only programmed by one way of viewing the body. So, mm-hmm. what sacred art, especially these images of Maria Lactanes can do is it because if if and this goes back to the neural programming, the neural What you said, was said it so beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. um, is the idea here, the things that we focus on, we begin to create uh, deeper neural pathways, and the mm-hmm. things that we, we stop focusing on, they lose their power. So if we start to bring this, is one element of and in the war here, we bring this in here of beauty, it can begin to train, retrain our brain, begin, begin to retake our desires, so that we begin to desire only what is good and beautiful, and then when ca- the counterfeit of pornography is, is is shown to us, we're like, What's the big deal? I, that does not interest me. Give me beauty here,
0: mm-hmm. revealing the
1: truth about the body.
0: Yeah, I love, love, love that you went into breastfeeding in your book because just from a practical standpoint. So I started out. I'm I'm a young mom, as probably everyone knows, and I have a one year old and a I have a 23 month old and 11 month 11 month old. So they're 300- are awesome. 300. Thank you, three hundred sixty-four days apart. You know, we're talking about God's timing here. Oh my gosh, Irish they are definitely, <laughs> they're definitely, yeah, Irish twins. They're definitely my path to sainthood. And uh, when I had my first son, I just always, you know, I, I got my little nursing covers, put them on my on my registry, and a couple friends got me some, and I was, I didn't even think about, you know, the fact that I could breastfeed without a nursing cover. That was just what you did. And then I had my daughter and she hates nursing covers. She will not nurse (laughs) with a nursing cover on. She, you know, I think they make her too warm. She'll just spend the whole time battling them. And meanwhile, I've got a, you know, a one-year-old who is extremely active. He's not going to sit in like a bathroom or a changing room so I can breastfeed my daughter. So what do I do? Just from a practical standpoint, I just breastfeed her in public. But I had never really, really thought like there some some weirdness, you know, there was some weirdness at first, but I saw a few of my friends doing it. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to react like this is a weird thing. They are serving their children. They're they're nourishing their children. And I was like, yeah. you know, this is just so much, you know, for me, it was a little bit more of like path of least resistance um, and kind of necessity. But I just love that you went into that in your book because I do, I totally agree. We need to retrain our our society's way of seeing women and and it is a beautiful thing i think there's other cultures in the world you referred to it in your book is it china where where it's not weird to breastfeed your children in public
1: yeah Mm-hmm. Actually, no, no it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's very common. Um, and I'll, just sharing one, one other story. Uh, way back in 2008, we literally were teaching uh, workshops on theology of the body underground. It was literally in the basement of a, an American businessman's um, home. Uh-huh. Um, and um, there were six, uh, six uh, Chinese women there with us that were teaching there. They had Some of them had their children. Um, and one of these women had to flee from the government um, wow. because of the one-child policy. And her child was there, and he got fussy. And so she just lifted up her shirt and began to breastfeed uh, I mean, and while the, the session going on. And, and, a, and a part of me, and this is um, right, right before and kind of right during as I'm, I've, I've been learning about the vision, and this is the ta- tail end of, of really breaking this compulsion permanently in me, um, I kind of freaked out and like, what are you doing? Because I had the old notion in my head that, well, that's only eroticized. Instead, I, I stopped, I said, no. I said, no? I said no to the lie, and I said, I'm going to look, and I'm going to look with love. Mm. And when I actually looked with love and really took this woman in and her child, right, I see here, this is a woman living out Christ-like love. Because mm. what does Christ say? This is my body given up for you. This is what she is doing. She is giving her body up so another can live. Mm. Is this not what's at the heart of our faith. Mm-hmm. And every woman, every woman's body, whether she's a mother or not, her body, if we have the eyes to see it, screams screams, mm-hmm. it proclaims the beauty and majesty and glory of God, not to worship her as we see in the, the false worship, the American Idol worship, the Maxim magazine, but instead to see her as the person that she's in is to enter into a, a genuine, healthy relationship with her mm-hmm. and to help her to flourish in her gifts and her character. Mm-hmm. That's what we, as a church, must be doing. That's why, like this project called again, Redeemed Vision, setting the blind free from the pornified culture, is not simply for those who have a compulsion to pornography. But the fact that we, as a church, were once the patron of the arts, the patron of beauty, we must take this back. And if we do this, we will see a transformation of our culture.
0: Amen. Amen. You talked in your book, and we—I don't think we've touched on this yet, but I think. For anyone struggling with a pornography compulsion, this is so important to hear. You talked about what to do when you see an image, a pornified image. Um, can you unpack that for me?
1: Sure. So um, uh, the acronym has finally been released. And again, another client um, figured this this one out. This is not in the book. And I'm going to even add a, add a piece. So uh, this has never been talked about in public, just in my client. So here you go, Stacey. Wow. Um, so the acronym is um, is Blimp KC, okay? okay. So when we when we come, it's kind of fun. Um, and um, so in here, um, when we see an image, any image that comes here, or even somebody maybe walking down the street, or a billboard, whatever it is, how do we handle that, right? Mm-hmm. And so first and foremost, we want to breathe. So that's B. We want to take a deep, mm-hmm. deep breath because breathing connects left and right hemispheres, connects your brain to your head, to your body, and your heart. And it helps us just to calm down, right? So we want to do that to get into our thinking brain, not just our emotions. Second is going to be L is going to be look, not look with lust, but look with love. Because usually the advice is given, look away. And Mm -hmm. if a person is, if that's only where they're at, if that's really where they, if I know, if I look, I'm definitely going to lust, well, then look away. But we can't say that that's the fullness way of freedom. We must look Mm -hmm. with love and a guy and a guy or a woman needs to be honest about that. So I look with love at this person. I look through the entire image. I keep my eye moving the entire image. Then I identify, is it a pornified image or is it not? Here's your one, here's two of your telltale signs. If they're not smiling in that image, you can be almost 100% sure it's a pornified image. Hmm. And if their eyes, if their eyes are kind of not fully open but kind of squinty, it's that seductive look, we mm-hmm. can know that it's pornified. Those are two, there's other telltale symbols, but start with a face, look at the smile, look at the mouth, look at the eyes. What's going on there? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're gonna know how am I to take this? So let's imagine this is a pornified image, what do I do with this? This leads us to M, make the image real. I will never meet this person in my life, right? I'm on this side of eternity. So, but this is where we can use our imagination appropriately. Pornography does it inappropriately, we're gonna do it appropriately. So as I'm looking at the image, I want to give her a name. I want to give her a story tell about her successes, but also what are her struggles? What is she hurting from? This personalizes it. And when we are empathetic with people, it is extremely hard to use people. Mm. That's important, yeah. okay? P, make, uh, we want to enter into the greatest power we have, pray. So while I'm looking at this image, right? I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to look at her and I'm going to pray. So if I had an image in front of me, I, I don't right now, but um, I, I would say, God, uh, I, Lord Jesus, I thank you for Sarah. I thank you for the beauty that she is. I thank you for my attraction to her. I want you to bless and affirm her as a woman that she is. I want you to fill her with all good, good things. Help her to know her worth and to live from your value that you give to her mm-hmm. and who she really is. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. And, there's a transformation hap- that happens here, okay? Then we get decay. K, KC, keep your eye moving. Women, you ladies are beautiful, but there are lots of beauties in the world. Keep your eye moving, look at other things, okay? And then C is check in with yourself. Where am I emotionally here? What's going on in my emotional? If there's still stuff going on here, then what I want you to do is I want you to enter into what's called gratitude. You cannot be both grateful and blasted at the same time, what is blasted? Bored, lonely, hungry, there's an H in this acronym, angry, stressed, tired, two teeth, turned on, emotional or overly emotional, and depressed. So blasted. You can't be blasted and grateful at the same time. Try it. Psychologically, it's impossible. So if you just start naming out loud, I am grateful for my shoes. I'm grateful for my lawn. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for that tree out there that I have to go cut down. Right? Mm-hmm. Those little things in life. And this helps to open us up, helps to heal our, it helps with the, the directing of our emotions. And then with this vision here, and if we keep practicing this, we can take this with everyone we learn and we can do this very quickly, like 15 seconds, mm. something else. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned in the book too, that your, the images become burned in your brain at like one, what was it? It's so fast. It was way less than a second. It was like one
1: could, 150th of a second or yep. 0.006 seconds. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. So this all happens very quick, quickly. So I imagine a big part of your work, um, is about that immediate reaction about like you said, breathing, just calming down the the immediacy of what you are used to doing, and instead retraining your habits. So, is is this something that gets easier over time for you, for your clients? Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> what I would say is that the first thing. So, we we say it's a, 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 a as we've been talking here, a three headed dragon with pornography. The brain. Uh, the, a brain compulsion, right? Chemical mm-hmm. compulsion, the intimacy issue, knowing that we're loved, and then the mm-hmm. vision piece, learning how to see. And even before that, as we're going to work with clients, is um, there's we go through history, but we want to look at, especially from the emotional standpoint, what was going on emotionally in those things, because the details that are shared they're they're just details of context, but we want to know what emotionally was going there. And just acknowledging those emotions, it mm-hmm. unlocks unlocks a ton of things in a good way that we can speak truth there and say, you are not those uncomfortable emotions. That's not your identity. You are not Mm -hmm. guilt and shame. You are a beloved son or daughter. And then from there, as we have that, then we, we learn how to recognize emotions, learn how to put emotions in the the correct place to direct them towards love. And then, and then as you just saw, and as we just discussed with that vision piece, then we're able to, you know, as we 're checking back in what are those emotions i 've already been practicing I know what to do with these emotions i can this doesn 't have to have power over me and the more and more we 're practice we 're focused on this thing, beauty begins to take over our heart begins mm-hmm. to take over our mind and our vision that we no longer desire this so the goal here and this is um, this is where the proposal would be. In, in this this realm of pornography, it's not about fighting against pornography. There's tons of things to try to fight against it. It's about inoculating from it so we don't desire it. And the way to get there is through beauty and intimacy.
0: Amen. So good. I am thinking of our kids. I mean, you know, you and I are both parents. And you mentioned before it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And that just scared me so much when I read uh, just – understanding this, the enormity of this problem. And uh, you mentioned about about how we want our children to be inoculated, you know, and, and ourselves as well. What else can parents do to emotionally fill their children's cup, so to speak, so that yeah, they will be inoculated?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an important point here. And I think um, just the world we live in—we're all really busy. We're all—I mean, my wife and I, between the two of us, we work three jobs and trying to figure this thing out here. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to trying to get—and some of us are just trying to make it through. And 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 we got married. We didn't get married for the house, the cars. We got married because for ourselves, and then the fruit of our love, which is our children. And uh, mm-hmm. so we take the Stephen Covey approach. First, keep keep the first thing as the first thing as the first thing. So the first thing I would say for loving your children—if you're married—love your spouse. That means. Um, one thing uh, never stop dating just make sure you only date one person your spouse <laughs> yep okay. right so that I say a weekly date night which means doesn't mean you have to go spend any money spend mm. intentional time together that's not focused on work or the kids okay yeah. because actually if Go ahead. Oh,
0: I'm so sorry. I, w- I wanted to interject really quick because I, my husband and I just discovered how to keep dating with two tiny children um, without spending a lot of money. We, we, So on the weekends, my husband works evenings, so we don't have evenings uh-huh. together. So that makes it challenging to find quality time. So on the weekends, we pick a night or sometimes it's both nights. We love shopping at Aldi. I know we're s- super weird. Oh, yeah, nice job. Yeah, love bargain shopping. Aldi has like really nice cheeses and stuff. So we go and we get different mm-hmm. kinds Of cheeses, and we get something for dessert. They have these great little um, macaroons in the freezer section, or whatever, whatever it is. We'll get like a cheese and a meat plate. It takes like ten minutes to prepare. We'll get crackers. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And after the kids go to bed, we'll have. Um, uh, maybe share a bottle of wine and have a a cheese and a meat plate and that way there's no cleanup it's not stressful but we we treat ourselves to something and we we talk and we watch a movie together so it's like a stay-in date night so that's my recommendation if you are having trouble finding quality time with your spouse and affording a babysitter and all that kind of stuff
1: love it love it love it And I love it. And I'm, and I think getting that piece down is so crucial because Mm -hmm. then when we, because we, when the stress of life hit, when we have that emotional bank account to draw from, Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to navigate through that. We still have to work. It's still going to be hard, but it will be easier. We want to say that. Absolutely. And I would add one other piece in the marriage thing would be that 15, at least 15 minutes a day of deep, intimate sharing about life, what's going Mm -hmm. on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we don't just become functional creatures like, oh, you make the meal and you go to work. No, life is way more. Okay? Mm-hmm. So then this could and why is this so important? Why is this first thing first? Because if our kids, our kids want to know that mom and dad are going to be there. They don't care whether you're happy all the time, but they want to know that mom and dad are going to be there. So we've got to learn and focus on keeping that rock solid. Mm-hmm. Okay intimacy then right this is what I would say as time goes up and you can even do it with the smallest of children okay um, at least once a month at least again when you're younger you're probably doing a lot more than this but 20 minute dates a tw- a tw- excuse me yeah 20 minute dates um, at least once a month at least do something out of the ordinary something special go to I don't know, go to Dairy Queen or something like that something in which you can spend that intentional time together okay because you wanna, you wanna begin to foster this, this thing of, of trust. And this also connects with our meals, at least five meals a week, um, dinners together. Because mm-hmm. the family that eats together stays together and what that does it it, even if it's 20 minutes because we're all busy right if it's but if it's 20 minutes we're together turn off this tv turn off to get the cell phones away be Mm. present to one another because in here we're looking for intimacy and when you have that when they know that mom and dad are there when those feelings become eroticized then we can start talking about these in a healthy holistic manner um fourth i would say if I'm on number four, um, would be that of teach them the language of the gift. And it starts from the very youngest age. So let's say you're making pancakes, right? Making pancakes and the older brother comes up and says, I want pancakes, I want pancakes. Um, You teach them, say, well, what about your younger brother, right? Mm -hmm. Let's give him those pancakes first. And yes, there might be some sadness and gnashing of teeth. Okay, I'm not here to be my parent. I'm not here to be my kid's friend. I'm here to be their father or mother. and from here, though, that teaches them that it's about a gift. Living my body out as a gift. Okay. Number number five. Everybody who's listening, to this go Google "mom gives son eighteen point iPhone contract." Okay. I am not. I am not advocating. I'm not advocating that you that cell phones are a must. That even if you give the kids cell phone anytime in here. Some of you are kind of thinking about it as they maybe hit teenagehood. Maybe I want to do this. You want to make sure um, that you go and read that, create your own, have them sign it, maybe in blood. Okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> you want them to know that this is your cell phone, that they are borrowing from you, and if they break it, they're going to buy it. But um, then also, how, do they get, how are they going to use this well? Mm. Because we, technology is a gift. Right now, Stacy, we're using technology well. But many of us are not being formed in this. And especially for our young, young, uh, young kids, we're putting them on tablets when they're like a year and a half. Oh, we're yeah. ignoring them. Mm-hmm. And that is going to create that dearth of intimacy so that when those feelings become eroticized, we're going to be in trouble. So mm-hmm. obviously, um, we need to teach them to use technology appropriately. And I would even say, as social science is saying, no screens before three. Find a way. There was a time when we had no screens, right? So Mm -hmm. it's been done throughout history. We need to find a way to educate them in other things. And this is tough. I I know all about being being young, having one or two kids, and like, oh, this is so hard. It'd be so much easier to just plop on the couch have them do that. I promise you the sacrifice you do now will pay off huge because right now my kids, yeah, they watch some TV, but they love to read. Mm -hmm. really important, okay? Then other one. Number, uh, number, I don't know what I'm, number six, um, how do we treat the, the way we, we treat the body? We talked about how we talk about the body, especially moms and daughters and, and the way there. But even what I would say is, you know, when you're getting out of the shower and somebody comes in the shower, your young kids come in the shower, what's your reaction? Is it cover up and get the hell out of here? Forget my language. Or is it, um, what's going on? How can I help you, right? Mm-hmm. It's a normalization of... Um, a normalization of, of of the body there, that they see the body, it's lived out normally, um, mm-hmm. so that you know I, I'm comfortable in my own skin, along with, obviously, we want to guide them in um, in appropriate time of what are all those feelings about and teaching them the value and virtue of friendship is going to be really important here. And, then, mm-hmm. and again, there's more I talk about in the book here. Those are some six good ones, get a lot of food for thought.
0: Yeah. You also talked in the book about how when you were in some of the earliest experiences you had of being exposed to pornography, how mm-hmm. your mother was uh, physically very affectionate to you, and that, and that helped, um, I, I believe you said, correct? Correct.
1: I mm-hmm. did. I did. Yeah. I did. yeah mm-hmm. The, um, when, yeah, uh, first time actually with, uh, well, one of the first times with videos got, got busted by her, her boyfriend. And, and my mom found out about it and I, 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 wept and came to her and, and she was very gentle about this. She didn't have the language, didn't know how to, know how to talk about this. And I think there's, there was room to grow. But again, mm-hmm. there was not this shaming. There was not this, uh, that you are a bad person. And I think, um, if there's the potential for exposure, that obviously if we can train them in, in, in works of art, and then when that happens, it'd be a lot easier, but you know, let's say you do stumble in on, on, uh, cause I heard a story, a friend of mine shared her 12 year old son, she walked in on him looking at pornography and he burst out just sobbing saying, Mm -hmm. you're not going to love me if you know what I've done. And this, Oh, like my, my heart breaks for that. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that we've created an environment where son or daughter, you can tell me anything
0: mm-hmm. and I'm
1: showing you by the way I live my body. Um, and so here that gentleness, and then if, you know, maybe this exposure comes, we're going to be able to deal with this and be able to walk through this and there will be healing and wholeness.
0: hmm Yeah. Amen. I think that's one of the most important things I've read as a parent so far about, about the importance of, of, Forgiveness, love, affection, and really unconditional love, especially when your children mess up in that way. Yeah. I would like to finish up with a quote from your book, which uh, maybe because I'm an actor, maybe this is part of the reason I liked it so much, but I think, uh, I think it can apply to, to anyone. You said in your book, many of us are not living out the drama we are called to live. Drama is not about having stressful situations in our lives. Rather, it is about using our freedom to interact with the will of God. Our freedom draws us into the great adventure that God is calling us to live. I love that. Is there anything you want to say about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Um, It's a humbling quote. Um, And um, I I would say here that we, most of us uh, in the Western world have a misunderstanding of what freedom is. We think freedom is for whatever. Um, Mm -hmm freedom to do whatever I want. No, freedom in truth is freedom for excellence. And here in typically in the, in the spiritual world and and, in a spiritual battle, it's not usually a choice between good and evil. Very rarely is it that usually it's a choice between what is good and what is best. So we have to, we have to realize our freedom is for what is excellence. So it's again, going back to our our whole theme to to put a little bow on this whole conversation for a moment. Um, Like in our discernment of the little things in life, that are that are important, but also the big vocation questions are: Who am I? What is my gift? And how can I live that out as in a way that leads to joy and fulfillment in other people's life, which inevitably is going to bring joy and fulfillment in my own life.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. That was so good. Thank you. I'm going to put that up on my wall that quote because it. I think it's such a great quote about not only everything we've been talking about with um, our pornified culture, but then also our um, our discernment and the great interaction of those two things. Cause I'm discovering there's this, there's this connection between healing your wounded past. I did a, an episode with Natalie Stillwell about rising Beautiful. above and um, learning. Yes, she's great. I think it was episode five with her and it was all about healing your wounded past and how becoming whole and healing yourself is the springboard from which all right discernment comes. So um. We, Yeah, yeah, indeed. Thank you so much for everything. I'm going to link to everything that you talked about in the show notes. If there are any specific images that you would recommend, you mentioned, I think, Maria Lactens, the -hmm. breastfeeding mother. If you could send me those links so that I could link to them so people could find them, that would be amazing. And then uh, also. Awesome. And then the books we talked about, of course, Redeeming Vision, or sorry, Redeemed Vision. Um, Everybody needs to buy that book. And uh, I just want to thank you so much, Steve, for being such a a gift and a blessing and for using all of your experiences um, to to sanctify and build up the kingdom of God on this earth.
1: An an honor, Stacey, and to uh, those who have been listening and uh, to those who will listen to this, um, blessings on you and your families and to know that you are a gift and may live from that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Have a wonderful day, Steve. God bless.
1: Thank you, Stacey. Blessings to you.
0: So what did you think? Come on over and tell me at StacySummerow.com where you can subscribe to my website or send me a message. And please, please, please leave an iTunes review. You can also find on my website, the link to the show notes, which is gonna have all the resources that Steve and I talked about in this episode. Have a blessed two weeks. Hang around for just a second so you can hear the reflection, Lord Jesus, think on me, which is perfect for Lent. That's coming up in just a second. God is calling you to great things. So stay caffeinated, my friends. God bless.